Hello, Doug. Hello, Karen. How are you? I'm good. It's spring, and you can tell it's spring because it's 40 degrees here. That's exciting. Yeah, something like that. And how is everything with you? I'm exhausted. Oh, guys, and we're doing this again. It's nighttime. Bear with us. Who knows what babble will come out of our mouth? I know. Mouth. Who knows what shit's going to come out of my mouth because I'm so tired. I know. Well, but, maybe it'll be good shit. But it's good to connect with you. <laughs> Always. And, Always bright light for me. And I and I enjoyed the episode this week. Oh, good. I'm glad. I feel like we're getting places. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Wait. I think this was another one that that was like laying the groundwork, but in a way that like was better and made for its own standalone kind of episode. Yeah, I didn't really feel like we were spinning our wheels here. Like Good. sometimes oh, I feel that way with these episodes. Um, we are uh, we're at season three, episode twenty-five, all about Brooke. Which is an odd title, at least because I think that would have been more appropriate last episode when that was the first chance we really got to see like behind the curtain of Brooke's life. Yeah. And I don't really know that this episode is all about Brooke. It's really not all about Brooke. It's not. It's not. It's really a, a red herring. Yes. But, you know, I was kind of thinking this week about what what we had talked about last week about the camp factor. And uh, and how, you know, you appreciate the camp. And I'm like, I don't I don't see the camp because I feel like they could have ta- they should have taken it further. And then it would have been like, OK, camp. And and I'm, you know, the thinking about the. um the other Darren star hit uh, Sex in the City. And I feel like while that wasn't all camp all the time, there were aspects of it that were super camp and usually had to do when, um, my God, uh, I just lost Kim her Cattrall. name. Kim Cattrall was, was involved. Because that was always over the top. I mean, she was a drag queen. Yeah, you had me for a second because I don't know that my first adjective for sex in the city is usually camp, but but I think with her it definitely is. And we would, I don't know, maybe even 10 years later, totally refer to that as a drag performance or a drag character or whatever. Right. The Samantha Jones character. Right. That's it, Samantha Jones. It was a very draggy sort of over the top. Oh, 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 honey, please. Yeah, yeah that and that sort of, yeah. yeah. And so that, and like that I feel like... That that quality of camp was never, I felt, brought to Melrose Place. It was like they were afraid to do it. I think that's fair. Yeah, I feel like it was a different kind of camp that they had, but it was like a sillier, less threatening kind also because they probably were afraid of pushing things too far or too blatantly in, in that direction. Interesting. You know, I'm sort of, like, thinking about it, too, in terms of, like, where you have, like, a scene and you have the, like, oh, God, I'm not going to explain this right. But, like, you have a scene and then you have, like, this sort of, like, crescendo of music, you know, of instrumental music that kind of elevates it into that sort of camp factor, you know. And I mean, that, that exists on Melrose? No, no, no. That that it could, like, like I'm thinking of soap operas that do that, and I guess I'm trying to remember which ones they were in particular. All of them. All of them. Um, but it didn't seem, to, it didn't have that. And I know that they were trying to be cool and hip and down with the kids, you know. Um, but I think that that also 
pulled pulled away that campiness that could have come out. Yeah, I do think there's a point there where they got over trying to be hip, and we're just like, let's let's go there. But I think your point is they didn't go all the way there. They they were afraid of it. Yeah, and I think they were afraid. They were afraid of it. So anyway, but I think we are getting a little campier. I think so too, and I think that's why you're liking it more. I I just can't imagine you won't continue to feel that way through the the rest of the season. What seven or eight episodes left? Yeah, I just want it over the top. Give me over the top. Well, I think some over the top stuff is going to happen. Right. So so the things that I loved about this episode, we had um, moments of Kimberly and Sydney together being, you know being Kimberly and Sydney in the same room and to each other and, and plotting things behind people's backs. And when that happens, it's always a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Any pairing of Kimberly and Sid. Yeah, absolutely. But scheming, especially. Yes. Yeah. Scheming, uh, Sid and, and Kimberly is that's, that, that's, a, that makes a good episode. We had no Jane or Matt or Matt. Where was Matt? I don't. I thought for sure there was going to be a scene in the hospital where Matt talks to Kimberly or Michael or even Sid or something, but no. No, and and no Jane, but it was kind of Jane adjacent because Sydney brought her up. Yeah, there was a there was a dip in the Jane pool. There was a dip in the Jane pool. So let's get started. Um, would you like to start where we left off last week? Because that's exactly where the episode picked up. And do you know? <laughs> I was, I was so like thrown by the opening where when they picked up okay so where we left last week Kimberly had taken all these pills downed them with alcohol she's going to commit suicide she laid down on the chaise outside on the Malibu beach and waited to die and Michael came home and saw she was passed out and found the pills and got a little frazzled called 911 and then was like wait what am I doing she's dying Hung up. He pulled the little foxes and was like, I'm just going to sit here and let her expire. Well, just wait and see what happens. And so that was, that was the cliffy they left us on. And when they picked up this week, they went right back into it. Except this time, Michael is sitting back talking to Kimberly's body, drinking a scotch. Right. He has poured himself a drink and turned up the classical music and is literally waiting for her to expire. Yes. And I was so kind of thrown off by this because this is like the first time I think that they've ever done something like this. That was uh, like a complete like baton toss from episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was so thrown by this and knowing how they are not masters of continuity, I actually went back. To double check that everyone was wearing the same clothes. That's thorough, were they? They were. Thank goodness. I know. Because, because, but just something about that scene felt off. And I was like, maybe they're not, maybe they're, because, you know, their continuity is not great. Maybe, But I also think it was just kind of like, you know, this great moment of Michael at the end of last episode being like making the decision he's going to wait for her to die. And then the opening of this episode is him drinking a scotch, playing really loud Rachmaninoff. Right. So. Oh, and he's reading the note out loud. Yeah, that note, which will continue to factor in. Um, 
were you wondering how, what was going to happen? How Kimberly was likely going to survive this then? Um, I was sort of, but you know, Sid saves the day. Did you, did your mind think, I bet Sid is going to show up? No. Because mine did. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, the first time around while watching, before I, I would have known better. Yeah, I was like, oh, someone's obviously going to show up and it has to be Sid. And was like, it was. Otherwise, Kimberly's just going to wake herself up and not have any problems. And I'm like, even that is a little, a little bridge too far. So um, I was like, yeah, Sid's probably going to show up. And then Sid shows up. And, and all of Michael's problems. Yeah. <laughs> and it just is kind right. of random, you know, because it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night, and she's not really had a storyline connection to them or the house. Yeah. And like, she's been busy pouting about Jake and Jane um, and Jake and Joe, <laughs> but not really connected to Michael and Kimberly. Nope, not even a little bit. But now she is. Um, so she shows up while he's reading the note, and she is sort of aghast that she he is not. She <laughs> the entire thing in two seconds and gets it all and immediately goes and calls 911. Right. And Michael's all, like already trying to backpedal, be like, oh, I just got home. And she's like, Michael, you've already poured yourself a drink. It's like she was watching along with us. <laughs> and even then he's... Like she watched more than, she watched the in-between part of the scene even. And then he, he actually says, I thought she was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, she's kidding. But this sort of begs the question, like you said, why the hell is Sid there? Why does she show up in the middle of the night? What is she doing? Just well, to save Kimberly's life? They tease it and then never answer it. They just move on, right? They move on at that moment, but we do end up getting a reason, but it's so weak. Yeah. It's a weak reason. Know, yeah. You know, um, because uh, particularly knowing how Kimberly and Michael feel about Sid, how Sid feels about them, it's it's a very weak reason. Um, shall we go into it? Um, well, let's just keep uh, – let's get there and just keep saying. So as they wait for the ambulance to come, Sid grabs the suicide note and puts it in her jacket. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. And then um, – we and that and then we go into the credits and come back and they're in the hospital and and Michael's with them as they're wheeling Kimberly on a gurney and he's again like trying to talk himself like find any uh, alibi he can. Um, anyway, and, Sid and, is now lingering in the hospital. Yes, and this is why this is when we find out why Sid was at why she showed up to Michael's and it has to do with Jane. Right, the stupid. Jane's dumb company. Yeah, James Dunn. <laughs> Jane, Jane is having financial problems. Yeah, think the guy she was supposed to marry embezzled everything out of the business, and um, and and Sid wants Michael to to bail Jane out. Why this required Sid coming over to Kimberly's beach house at midnight? I'm not really, I don't really get, but okay. But there you go. There's the reason. <laughs> so Kimberly is taken you know is taken to be worked on whatever they're doing to her um and michael is basically like i'm not doing shit for jane yeah he's like i've got too many other women i'm juggling right now i can't even think about jane right exactly. he doesn't really say that i said that but carry on <laughs> oh 
Oh God. So, uh, so I guess, you know, we never really find out, you know, how, how bad off Kimberly was. No, but not bad enough that she can't survive. Right. And she does survive. And, and she's there's, actually- no, there's no like brain damage or any, or muscle damage or anything. It's fine. Yeah. And she actually gets a visit um, pretty much right after from Sid. Of course. And Sid goes and tells her, and this is great because they hate each other, but she told on Michael. Right. Sid, who has completely forgotten that Kimberly framed her for Michael's murder and put her in the slammer like six months earlier. (laughs) Sid is now on Team Kimberly right now. And so Kimberly, who, I mean, let's face it, for what she just went through, she's sharp as a tack. Oh, yeah. Resilient as fuck. She devises a scheme. From the hospital bed. From the hospital bed. To like, minutes after waking up after being presumed, after after willing <laughs> the end of her life. <laughs> Almost she dying. Wakes up to sit and goes, oh, did I die and go to hell? <laughs> <laughs> But no, now she's scheming with Sid, and she wants to frame Michael for attempted murder. And she needs Sid's help to do it, but Sid knows about the money. Oh, no, Kimberly tells her about the money. Kimberly tells her here, yeah. Yeah, so Kimberly opens her mouth and tells her about the $100,000 that um, Michael's getting for for the settlement. This this random, unresearched insurance payout, yeah. Right. And... um, and Sid immediately says, well, I'll help you, but I want $50,000. I mean, I can't blame Sid. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. She deserves the money. Yeah. She's going to be involved. Yeah, definitely. Um, and she's smart about it this time. She's like, I'm not lifting a finger until I see that money in my bank account. That's right. So didn't they work together like this before? They were in cahoots like this at the end of last season when they were trying to kill Michael, weren't they? That's right. They were trying to kill Michael. Yeah. They, cause wasn't Kimberly, didn't she like drug his drink or something? Yeah. I think it was something like that. I no, no, no. They, they, they drugged him so that they could put him in the car and try to kill him with carbon monoxide. Oh, and then Jane fucked that Jane up. Jane screwed that up. Jane showed up and screwed that up. That's right. Um, so now we've got Sid going to the beach house. Yeah. So I guess Kimberly, whatever, you know, the precursor to Zell and Venmo was, she got money to Sid because Sid is like now hiding and planting drugs in the kitchen of the beach house. Right. She's planting these drugs. Um, is it the second all? The second all in vitamins in a bottle of vitamins. Um, and she almost gets caught by Michael. Yeah, because, of course, Michael comes home, so she crouches down in the kitchen. We have her perspective. He walks into the kitchen. It's very Velociraptors in Jurassic Park. And um, uh, stops before he comes all the way into the kitchen area to look and walks away. And she's able to skedaddle. Right. So so Sid is wearing her black leather gloves, which I thought was just such a yeah. neat little thing, too. I- so she wouldn't get her fingerprints on anything. Um, and she has now planted the evidence that they're going to need. Um, 
And, um, and, and so, so everything is in place now for Michael to be framed. Right. And, and before we continue with that, Michael also still has Amanda on his mind. Amanda, who we'll get to more, but she's basically now healthy again. Yes. She is in remission. Right. Um, thanks to Michael. Thanks indeed to Dr. Mancini. Thanks to Dr. Mancini. Um, so at the hospital, now Michael goes back to the hospital, I guess before Michael goes back to the hospital and, and he confronts Kimberly. Yes. Oh wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I missed something. It was at the hospital the detectives show up to question Michael. But before the detectives show up, that's when Michael calls Amanda and asks her to dinner, right? Oh, no, they were at dinner before the detectives show up. See, the the timeline's a little bit weird here because after the dinner that Michael had with Amanda, why would he then be at the hospital? They're just always going to the hospital. It's like they have to check in. Yeah, but he was like in his scrubs and stuff. Uh, Maybe he had dinner and then had a night shift. Maybe, except that, like... It doesn't work, no. It wasn't a good dinner. Doesn't, no. It wasn't a good dinner for him. You mean in terms of what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I think now we should talk about it. Okay. So, Michael is still oddly professing his love for Amanda. Continues to be, and she's clearly not reciprocating. She has moved on. She is in remission. She doesn't need Dr. Mancini by her bedside anymore. So he asks her to join him for dinner because he's like, we need to talk. I need to see you. You know, all of that sort of, like, crazy stuff. And proposes having dinner at the Ivy. Um, So Amanda's like, fine, I'll have dinner with you if that's what you want. Like, she sounds not thrilled to be there. Um, they meet for dinner, and he gives her an engagement ring. He's, Kimberly's not even dead. I know. N- nor are they divorced. Nor are they divorced. I mean, and, and he's, like, sliding this rock over across the table, giving it to Amanda. Um, and Amanda's reaction was priceless. She looks at it, rolls her eyes, and laughs at him. She laughs at him. <laughs> And then she dumps him. And then she's like, for once and all, I think, finally puts the kibosh on it. Yeah. It's like, no, Michael, this is ridiculous. No, don't care. Don't like you. Goodbye. Yeah. She's like, I'm healthy now. You served your purpose. We're done. And, um, and she's hardcore. And I loved her in that, at that moment. I did too. I I have a, a specific memory of her face when she sees the ring and reacts to it. Um, which I'm not sure if that's one they used a lot in ads or in the um, opening credits for the following season, but I definitely, that was emblazoned in my, the Melrose in my mind. Yeah. It was um, a great moment. Yeah, it is. But it also, uh, at this point, cause I think we're like officially done with this Amanda, Michael, what's happening thing. I want to go on the record and saying after the, entire storyline with Joe and Reed and everything that followed with the pregnancy and the parents and the nanny and all that. This is, I think the second worst storyline Melrose has done because of how badly it fell short of its potential and how sloppy it was. Because when you think about it, the way that the characters are written, Amanda and Michael together could have been a really great bad couple. 
Right. And them coming together could have been the thing. You're like, I've been waiting the whole show for this to happen. Yes, finally. Yes, this makes sense. And there's none of that. And there's none of that. Instead, he becomes like this mooning, like weird, like puppy dog. And, you know, and she's, uh, you know, I mean, she's got cancer. So it's like Amanda is kind of weak. In terms uh, yeah. of like how, how Amanda usually is. I mean, obviously, she's at a very weak point health-wise. Um, she needs somebody to sort of help her and take care of her. And that's not the Amanda we know and love. Um, and Michael steps in to take that role. And so they're both not playing to type here. Right. And And the thing is, if they had worked this differently, it could have had so many over-the-top perfect moments of, like, you know, Kimberly and Amanda sabotaging each other. And, you know, they, they, there could have been just so much more. No, I, I mean, I think I've said, uh, I, I agree with all of that. Yes. So, yes, this was... But this was what should have, so... Yeah, yeah. So it sucks. It does suck. This was a disappointment. But, you know what, I'll take what we can get. And this, you know, this sort of like Amanda dumps Michael scene was kind yeah, of awesome. Was yeah. It was, it was, it was worth the price of, of admission. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so right. So Michael's having a bad night. He gets this engagement ring. She laughs in his face. And then I guess he goes to work and there are cops there that want to talk to him. Right. They've been, they're waiting. Yeah, they're waiting for him, and um, they they want to question him about the attempted murder. And Michael's like, what are you talking about, attempted murder? She did this to herself. And they're like, prove it. He's like, there's a note. And they're like, uh, where is said note? And he's like, uh... Well, he said, it's at, the, it's at the beach house, and they're like, it wasn't there. We had a warrant, and we tossed the place. Can they do that? Can they just go in when nobody's home? I want to say they possibly can, but but they probably did not go about it through the procedural way. Right. Yeah. All very weird. And I mean, would, would I, I mean, I guess, would they be able to get a warrant? I mean, I don't know. Okay. We know they play fast and loose with the facts on Melrose Place. Yeah. So I, I, what's the point of belaboring this? But anyway. Yeah, I, think, I don't think there was a cop consulting as they no, wrote. The, I don't the, think there was. So they've searched the beach house. They found the pills in the the second all in the in the vitamins, but they did not find a note. Yeah. So I think Michael's sweating a little bit now. Yeah. So is this when Michael calls Sid or calls shooters to talk to Sid? Um, does he call shooters? I think that's a little bit later because he confronts Kimberly at the hospital about setting, about, you know, calling the cops on him. And then he goes home to, to look for the note. Yeah. He calls her from, he calls Sid at shooters from home. Yeah. And then he realizes that he doesn't have the note and he like sort of like, like, he's like retracing his steps. He's like taking the couch, the chaise lounge cushions apart. And he's like, wait, and Sid came. Oh, Sid. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. Right there. He just he just knew. Um, and so he calls it a shooter's, and she's basically selling that suicide note to the highest bidder. Yeah. Because now she wants 50 grand from him. Yeah. Nope. She's playing both sides. Yes. Which playing is, mom and dad. Which is great. Um, 
these guys deserve it. I so. know. I love it when Sid's like that. And then at this moment when she, she they agree, so she and Michael agree to meet um, in like a half an hour at some diner, right? And when she hangs up, like, again, this is like Jesse, Jake's brother is there at Shooters, and he like does a shot in front of her, and and she like lays into him for like drinking and drinking shots on the job and whatever, and and it was just like this weird sort of like, what the hell is going on with these two? Well, I think they're, she's our, our one witness to see what an asshole that Jess is. It just is, again, like, so, like, her, like just because her, her response to him has been so extreme. Yeah. And a little bit, I think, out of character. Again. Yeah. It's, well, it's also, like, a different kind of story. Like, she's the one who, in a film noir, would, like, get involved with him, realize he's bad, and then it would be too late. He would attack right. or kill her or something. And that's right. not, I think, at all what's happening here. That's not where it's going. Right. Because it's like she's got his number, and she's the yeah. only one. Right. Yeah. In fact, as we'll, as we'll get to, someone else is actually kind of turned on by this jackass. Uh, and it ain't Sid. And it's not Sid. And so, it's not Kimberly. So, at the diner, Sid goes to extort Michael, and he agrees to it. So, now I'm trying to figure out, and once again, she says, I will not, you, you won't get the note until I get my $50,000. Now, she wasn't supposed to help Kimberly until she got her $50,000. So, does she now have $100,000? I don't, I want to say no. But you would think that she wouldn't have gone to the house with the second all if Kimberly hadn't given her the money. Right. Because so, that's, that was part of the deal. I'm not sure that she's actually getting any of this money. Oh, Sid. Um, well, I mean, she tried. At least she had a better strategy. I know. It was a great strategy, but she needs to see it through. She really does. Yeah. Do it for all of us, Sid. I know. So, so now we know Michael's going to give her the 50 grand and, um, and she's going to hand the note over. So Michael goes to the hospital to gloat. Yeah. And Kimberly, I feel like has some interesting things to say. Um, like what? Well, isn't she basically like... He, like, temporarily scares her away, is how I look at it. Like, she... I don't know. Doesn't she threaten Sid, also? Uh, well, he threatens Kimberly with, if you don't get... He basically tells Kimberly, get out of town, or I'm going to tell the medical board what you did. And you will never practice medicine again, in, Cal in California again. So, he's, he's, like, taking away her livelihood. Um... Did she threaten Sid? No, because she shows up later to threaten Sid in person. Oh, that's what I meant. That's that's what I was thinking of, though. Oh, okay. So, um, so at this point, it, Kimberly has no choice but to run. Yeah. Um, and which, at this point, it looks like that's what she's doing. But before she goes, she shows up at Melrose Place and comes sort of, like, out of the dark while, while Sid is, like, bringing her laundry into that gloomy basement. Yeah. And, um, and confronts her and threatens her and is like, watch your back. 
Yeah. I love how it's, she was like, I'm going away for a while now, but watch your back. <laughs> I was like, you just tell her everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I would have said that if I was going to make that threat. <laughs> no, I mean, let them live in the, the question. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I don't know when Kimberly's coming back, but she's definitely coming back. Yeah, you haven't seen the last of her. No, have not. So what else was happening this episode? It was basically that and, um... Well, there's some more stuff happening at D&D. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, we can quickly... We, we talked about Jazz a little bit, so we can quickly, I think, march through that one, too. Yeah, I mean, he's he's stole a credit card. Which Sid caught, Which, right? Uh, no, Sid didn't no, catch that. <laughs> After she leaves, he sees the credit card. Yeah, and, and he, so he steals a credit card, and he invites uh, Jake and Joe out to dinner his treat. Because he's obviously going to use the stolen credit card. Right. And I guess we get, like, a little bit, you know, I guess this is not his first time doing something like this. Like, I think we got we got fed a little bit of that, that he's he's been in trouble with the law. Yeah. Yeah, everything about him is shady. Yeah, everything about him is shady. And, um, and you know, Joe's never made a, met a shady character that she didn't like. Yeah. Uh, she, like, sees that, that he's had some rough times, and all of a sudden she's, like, falling for him. Yeah, and, you know, and sort of, and Jake is clearly very unsure about this relationship with his brother and is kind of being a little bit of an ass to him but I mean deservedly probably so um and and Joe is trying to like smooth things over with that between them and then it looks like she's maybe falling for the bad guy again again yet again again she makes really bad choices she is the stupidest character of all the stupid characters on this show and she never started that way no no, that's the thing. She was always she was completely different. So, she was happy. Yeah. She was independent. Yeah, yeah. And all of this kicked off. Oh my god, we forgot that part. They used the pool. Oh yeah, Jess is in the pool. Jess was in the pool. Yeah. All of this kicked it, off. Yeah, he's swimming in jean shorts. Jess is in jorts. He's in jorts. Jorts were a thing back in the early nineties. They were a thing that all the boys used to swim in them. All the cool boys. Um, yeah, I never had my pair. Oh well. Oh well. So so he's in the pool and he helps. He sees Joe come out with all her camera shit and he like jumps out of the pool and runs up to help her. And and he does all of this. I I think on purpose in front of Jake. Yes. Because Jake reacts with, "I'll yes. take that to your car." Cal- calculated to yeah. the audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all like some big setup going on here with uh, with Jess and whatever. I don't know what his end game is with Joe, um, but God, is she stupid? God, indeed. Yeah. Uh, true. Yeah. And you know, Jake even sort of like opens up to Jess at one point in the episode and says something like, um, you know, basically like he and Joe are not together because the timing just hasn't been right since they split up, but he knows eventually it will be. So he's basically saying they're going to be together. That's his soulmate. And, you know, he's just waiting for the, for the right time, the right moment so that it'll work this time. 
Oh, Jake. Probably shouldn't have said anything. No, no, Jake is dumb. They're all dumb. They're all dumb. So let's go to D&D where there's some good stuff happening there. So now we're at D&D, which is continuing to be run into the ground by Allison. She really Uh, is not good at her job. No, she's, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm like, I'm watching it now with, you know, a a whole new set of glasses. And I'm like, oh, just fire her. Just fire her. Oh, this is so bad. I mean, they're going out of their way to make her look incompetent in so many different ways. But I guess the first scene we see is Amanda in the horror apartment with Billy. Yes. And now that she's in remission in some weird, like, baby blue crushed velvet sweater halter thing that I thought was a bathrobe at first and turned out to know just be an ugly sweater. Yeah, just it's a, just an ugly shirt. 90s. Um, and she's basically like, Billy, I want to come back to D&D. Can you put in a good word with Allison so that I can be hired again? Thanks. Yeah, and, and Billy basically agrees to, to help her get her job back. Right. And because she's a fool... Allison decides to take Amanda back. Yes, and she actually is doing it because she wants to exploit her. Right. But because they have to make Allison horrible in every possible way, like, even when they try to have her be ruthless or domineering, like, she's terrible at it. And she's like, by the way, Amanda, you'll get no preferential treatment, no running off to chemo in the middle of the day, which I don't know if she understands how, like, being sick with cancer works, but whatever. Well, you know, and then also remember who's who's running off to AA meetings in the middle of the day. All the time, right. I think she thinks they're the same thing, and they're not. Um, but, yeah. Also, I did want to point out, because I mentioned it before with the Amanda and the ring, I think it's the first scene when Billy comes into the office to talk to Allison, but it could be, like, the second time when when Allison slams the door in Brooke's face. There's a scene, it's Allison is on the phone and she's wearing like a red power suit and she like, it's a, and she like slams the cell phone shut. That's the scene they use for her in the opening credits next season. Oh, okay. Is yeah, she still the boss by then? I, uh, I'm not going to tell you because oh, I don't want to spoil anything. I have to wait. I have yeah. to wait. Well, so she's basically a tyrant. She is the worst, yeah, she is the worst kind of tyrant where, like, you can't really back it up because she doesn't have claws. So, yeah, this it's all going horribly. Yeah, so D&D, I think, is a bit of a mess. D- for a change. For a change. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brooke has her designs on Billy. Brooke has her designs on Billy, yes, and, well, go ahead. And, um, and, you know, when we last saw Brooke and Billy together, he, she was being very inappropriate at a business dinner. In, in the bathroom. In the, with, yeah, in the bathroom. And, um, and he turned her down. And so she basically goes to, goes to him at work and apologizes for feeling him up. And she says, he start, she, they, she wants to be friends. Let me take you to dinner. I need a friend. You're my only friend. Yeah, I don't have any friends. She messes up and apologizes and, and like, lays this whole thing about, like, family drama um, and, like, just keeps moving in for the kill with him. Right. And and Billy is an idiot, so he's like, okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. And yeah. then they eventually go on an air hockey date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and they, they're swapping life stories at shooters and 
Um, it looks like they're friends. They're hitting it off. Yeah, they are getting along. Yes. Um, so there's a whole lot of client well, issues so now. The other, the other thing is what's happening back at Planet D&D. So at one point, uh, Allison lays into Amanda because she forgot to, like, do a task, put an order through, whatever it was that Allison emailed her or said she asked her to do. And Amanda's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is the first I've heard of it. And then Brooke says, oh, Allison, you never gave it to Amanda because I see it's right here on your desk. Yes. So, like, the sabotage has begun. Yes. When Amanda took her job, not her old job back when she got Allison's job offer. It was to be, like, a lower-level accounts rep. And when Allison leaves, Amanda's like, well, I accept this, but not for long. (laughs) Well, of course, now, this account, they got screwed up because, you know, Allison supposedly never gave Amanda the memo. I mean, this is a big account. This This used to be Amanda's account, like, personally, and now um, Allison t- has taken it over, and she's the only one that's supposed to be working this account. It's that important. And so the client calls in a huff about something while Allison is, of course, at an AA meeting. And the client needs to talk to somebody right away, and Brooke doesn't feel comfortable telling him, well, you know, call back later. She's not here. So Amanda graciously agrees to take the call. Yes. And gets on the phone and proceeds to tell the client where Allison is. Yeah, she's like, oh, Allison's very unstable and has a lot of problems and she's at AA right now. Yeah. She's like, oh, you didn't know? (laughs) Well, I'll take care of everything for you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a really great moment. I really liked that. Um, you know, and meanwhile, you know, Amanda is just riding Allison out of spite, and Billy even says so. And Allison is riding Amanda. Allison's riding Amanda, sorry. Yeah. And too many A's. You know, this is like a rule in book in, in Booklandia, right? When you when you're writing a book, you write down all of your character names because if they're too similar, you fix it. Right. Well, but all we have, it's, you know what we've got here at D&D? We've got Abba. We have Allison and Billy and Brooke and Amanda. They don't even get to the C's. That's how limited they are to the alphabet when it came to these characters. So it just makes me crazy because it's like... And we've got Jake and Jane and Joe. Yep. And, oh, Jess. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a very uh, alliterative... Uh, it's a cast of characters. But it makes it very difficult to keep track of them. It does. But yes, Allison is being mean to Amanda, and she's dumb. There is no HR. Clearly not. This place needs HR. Does anyone even get paid? Like, have they even checked to make sure that they're getting paychecks? Because I don't even know how they I wouldn't it. trust that they did. Oh, and we find out Amanda's starting salary, or account Most executive the- salary. 35000 right? Yeah, I don't know if they said 35, but they said, like, low 30s, which, you know, not bad for 1995, but whatever. Right. If you're starting out. Right. (laughs) So, Brooke is basically playing both sides here. Like, she is sort of pretending to um, be in Allison's corner 
but at the same time, you're kind of not so sure that she is. Um, and then eventually, we're definitely not. We're definitely sure that she's not because she meets. Uh, she has a clandestine meeting with Amanda at some fancy ass bar, um, where you know Brooke is bringing files, client files, I guess, to to yeah. Amanda. Um, for, for Amanda to, I guess, poach. I don't, I'm not sure what she's doing, but basically I don't think Allison is going to be a tyrant for much longer. Yeah. I would trust your instincts. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a bad thing because she's just not, she's, she's incompetent. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the turn of events with her winning that random award that like all of a sudden catapulted her to run D and D and, and have Amanda ousted, like, random not great but the idea of like oh now allison is on top maybe like sometimes the good girl wins this is not working girl like allison is so nasty and horrible and incompetent at this it's like it's the whole the whole thing is built to implode it cannot last it cannot last no the center will not hold and you know we we knew amanda was a bit of a tyrant at work but i mean she looks like the best boss ever compared to Allison. Yeah, it's one thing to, to kind of be nasty, but to have the skills and the gumption to, like, back it up, Allison doesn't have that. Like, it's hollow kind of ruthlessness. And, I mean, also, I think Amanda kind of had a point when she was mean to Allison because Allison was a bad employee. Well, we were getting to the things where Allison kept shirking her responsibilities and getting involved with clients and being drunk on the job. Like, yeah, I think Amanda probably had a point in those times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes beyond, you know, uh, I dated Billy and, you know, and I'm, and I'm butthurt about that. You know, it, it's, it's just, it, Amanda had some points there and I think that they were good points. Yeah, those were examples where Amanda was not wrong. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, um, Billy and Brooke do go on that uh, air hockey date, and it looks like they almost kissed. So it looks like Brooke might be getting her way. Yes, things seem to be going well for Miss All About Brooke. Yeah, but meanwhile, also, I think it is important to note, Billy has put the kibosh on the relationship, um, that odd relationship, with uh with allison um where she shows up at his place with all of these files for work and says i need these by first thing in the morning and he's like it's what nine like 10 o'clock at night and you need them by like and you're bringing them to my apartment and then she like also wants to have sex and he's like get out of here yeah she comes over is like nasty boss and and like the the kicker is after he's like it's 10 o'clock first thing tomorrow and then she goes okay you can have till noon and like that is a seductive thing and that's when she tries to segue into like seducing him and he's like no whatever you think is happening it's not goodbye yeah and then she was like then i want them first thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) she's like so then i want them first thing (laughs) so i was like great um so yeah it looks like yeah, it looks like Brooke is really moving in uh, and, and threatens uh, Allison on two fronts. Yeah, yep. So much for being Allison's champion. But here's the thing. If this keeps moving in that direction, Brooke will become Allison's truest enemy, not even Amanda. That's a very good point. But the question is, will Allison see it that way? We'll have to wait and see. We'll find out next time. Possibly. Probably. Probably. Yeah. 
She can't be boss much longer. Mm, yeah, we've got like seven episodes left. I don't think we do. I don't think she will. Because she's just a bad boss. Oh, she's the worst boss. The worst. So, you guys, have you ever worked for somebody like Allison? <laughs> Let us know at Back on the Block Pod on Facebook. Uh, yeah, we would love to hear those stories. I would love to hear. I love bad boss stories. Mm, well, after this podcast is done, I can spend the next week telling you all of mine. I know. I love bad boss stories. So share your best bad boss stories with us. Yes, and you can do it on our Facebook page, Back on the Block Pod. Um, you can also tell the world about the fact that we want everyone to share their stories uh, on iTunes by giving us a five-star and only a five-star rating. Yes, please. Just five-star. That's all we want. We're not asking for much. Give us five stars or you're fired. Yeah, that's it. Nothing nothing too much. <laughs> Meanwhile, we are going to head over to Hollywood Boulevard. We are going to go to Westeros. And we are going to talk about that thing that everybody is talking about right now. Right. So if you don't know, follow us over. And we'll see you at Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs>